Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious, almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank You for the blessing of being able to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain help and mercy in time of need. We thank You for the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that is imputed to our account. And thereby, we are able to call You our Father. We live in a world of sin and sorrow, turmoil and anguish, and various afflictions, and yet at the same time, we look forward to that day when we shall be with You. Our Lord told us that in Your house, in His house, are many abiding places. And if it were not so, He would have told us that we have an inheritance reserved for us. And we thank You for the solidity of Your promise And though we do not feel like it oftentimes, and these truths seem so distant to us on other occasions, we thank You for the testimony of Your grace and mercy that is found in the heart of Your children through the operation of the Holy Spirit. We don't know how to explain it. And only those who have experienced it, as we have, can understand somewhat the testimony of the indwelling of Thy Holy Spirit. We do ask our God that You would be with Your ministers who preach and teach the Word of the Lord and wherein we may be in error that You would grant us repentance, open our understanding, 
And bless us to be able to preach and teach the unsearchable riches of Christ in all truth and honesty. We ask our God that you would give sanction to what is being spoken to those who hear and that it might find lodging in their souls and that it might bring forth fruit to your honor and to your glory. We ask that you would rule over those who rule over us, that we might ever lead a quiet and a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We pray that you would give us sound mind and healthy bodies as we live out our lives upon this earth. We know that our times are in your hand. And while we may make various plans, may we ever be consciously aware of the fact that we must, as you have taught us, say the Lord will, we shall do this or that. We make our plans, but you direct our steps. And so I pray, my God, again, that you would be with us as we continue in this worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come back to 1 John chapter 5. And we left off last Lord's Day looking at verse 10. And basically, we're looking at verses 10 through 13. And I'll read those verses. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, if you will remember that uh, picking up in verse 6 of this uh, fifth chapter, uh, it talks about uh, the water, the blood, uh, and the water and the blood and the Spirit, and they bear witness. And then we came on down and it talks about the three that bear record in heaven. It's really the same Greek word, the witness, the record. And then it talks about in verse 8, the witness, there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. 
And then if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. And he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. And so, uh, and then he talks about in verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given. And then uh, we find that all of this is talking about this witness to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He didn't become the Son of God. He is the Son of God and has always been the Son of God. But the thing that we're looking at in particularly is this word for witness. And notice that it says in verse 10, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in Himself. Now we began looking at that uh, last Lord's Day, and uh, we're going to look at it a little bit more. <coughs> and this is, I believe, the same thing as the earnest of our inheritance, or we'll just simply say this that it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each child of grace that has been regenerated. Now let me say this. This witness that is in Himself is not in the natural man. Let that sink in. You who have been born again have a old man and a new man. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7 when it, when it talks about how that... Uh, we war against the flesh and the spirit wars against each other. Now what we know and what we understand mostly is the natural side of the equation. In other words, Let's take a relative. He may be a father, a mother, son, a daughter, husband, wife. You know that you have a camaraderie with them, with each other. Each of you have that by the natural disposition of each one of you. There's an emotion 
natural emotion, natural affection that you have for each other. And if you have been away for each other uh, for any length of time and uh, come back together again, those emotions are somewhat stirred up, usually by a hug. Uh, if it happens to be a spouse, it's usually a hug and a kiss and things of that nature. But uh, in other words, there is something tangible that you know from a natural standpoint. You have natural feelings. A child cannot begin to understand or comprehend the emotions that a parent has toward a child unless that child uh, later on becomes a parent uh, themselves. That's natural. We're talking about a spiritual witness, not a natural witness. This spiritual witness is not something that arouses the natural flesh. It doesn't arouse the emotions. What I mean by that is the natural flesh, the natural emotions may at times be affected. But in a day-by-day living, usually that's not the case. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if that were, uh, were not the case, then we would never be downcast. We would never doubt our salvation. We would never doubt, uh, you know, have our uh, war against the flesh. We'd always be on the mountaintop. And we're not that away. But this witness that John is talking about, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. This witness is always there. The Holy Spirit is always indwelling in the heart and soul of a child of grace. Now, let me say this. And I hope by saying it, I don't, do not confuse the matter more. There are two schools of thought about the, the spiritual man. And some is that uh, one school of thought is that uh, we're made up of body and spirit or body and soul. And that school is that there's two parts to man, the body 
And then the other part is soul or spirit. They, they maintain that soul and spirit are one and the same thing. Uh, that's called dichotomy. That doesn't mean anything to you probably, but uh, uh, it, it's, that's, it, di means two. But the other is called trichotomy, which is that man is composed of body, soul, and spirit. And there are strong arguments for both sides. Years ago, I uh, determined that I was going to figure out exactly what the difference is between soul and spirit. Those two different Greek words. And I found out that many times those words are used interchangeably. And you couldn't exactly say one from the other. The, but uh, I'm a trichotomist. In other words, I believe that man is body, soul, and spirit. And I won't try to go into all of the different verses behind that and why. But I'm just saying what I'm saying. And... Uh, that man is, his flesh is his flesh. I think we can com pretty much uh, apprehend that or comprehend that to some degree. Uh, and that the soul is what makes man to be what he is naturally. That's the reason some people like peas and others do not. Some people like liver and some do not. In other words, it's just kind of what makes man, to, each individual person, to be what he is naturally. But the spirit is that part of man that is either alive unto God or dead to the things of God. And so, uh, but yet at, at the same time, when I'm preaching, uh, no doubt I use the two words interchangeably, and uh, but uh, I'm just talking about the inner man right now, and uh, that inner man is what I would call the spirit. And I believe this is the same thing that God is talking about when it talks about the earnest of our inheritance. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 1. And for time's sake, I'll only read verses 13 and 14. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise 
of His glory. Now notice, there is a sealing that takes place upon belief of the Gospel. This is what 1 John 5.10 is saying. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. Now you know what earnest is, do you not? For example, well let me go back and kindly give a definition of the word. The idea of the earnest was in old times that uh, in, in other words, in the time of this, the New Testament was written, if a man was going to buy a piece of property, uh, the arrangement was made between the seller and the purchaser, and the purchaser was allowed to grab, as it were, a handful of dirt and take it with him. That was his earnest. That was his earnest. If I remember correctly, in the modern Greek, the, the word for earnest is the same as, I believe, a wedding ring. I'd have to go back and check that, but if memory serves me correctly. But here he said that we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise in Ephesians 1.13, which I believe is the same thing that is being talked about with this witness that is in each child of grace. And concerning that seal, that, that uh, in Ephesians 1, I want to read two quotes because I think that they uh, summarize it as well as can be said. And the first quote is from John Gill. Concerning being sealed, or the witness, uh, as I believe that he's talking about, the seal in uh, Ephesians one thirteen, and liking it to the witness that is in First uh, John five ten, but Gill talking about the seal. It is to be understood of the confirming, certifying, and assuring the saints as to their interests in the favor of God and in the blessings of grace of every kind and their right and title to the heavenly glory. And the seal of these things is not circumcision, nor baptism, nor the Lord's Supper, nor even the graces of the Spirit, but the Spirit Himself, who witnesses to the spirits of believers the truth of these things, 
and that as a spirit of promise, so called, whom the Father and Christ had promised, and who was sent by them, that is, the Spirit was sent by the Father in Christ. You see that in John 14, 15. And because He usually seals or certifies believers of the truth of the above things by opening and applying a word of promise to them, and which He does also as the Holy Spirit, for this sealing work of His leaves a greater impress of holiness upon the soul and engages more to acts of holiness. Wherefore, the doctrine of assurance is no licentious doctrine. No persons are so holy as those who are truly possessed of that grace. And as for such who pretend unto it and live in sin... It is a certain thing that they in reality know nothing of it. So Gil, I thought, did a a good job of talking about these graces and blessings that God sanctifies our soul, and, and though it's not the graces themselves, but the Spirit. And you say, explain that to me. I don't know how to explain it anymore. I think it's something that every child of grace knows and it's something experienced more than explained. In other words, why is it that you Go to God in prayer and without any reservation call Him Father. Is it not because of something in you that causes you to believe that God is really your Father? That He loves you and that He has loved you from everlasting, and that Christ is your Savior. If it were not for that, we would be a fool to call Him our Father. That's just one of many things. I've got another quote here by uh, a minister that I met years ago, Elder Cecil Sandiford, he said, this sealing with the Holy Spirit of promise is the giving of the assurance that one belongs to Christ. One who does not yet believe the word of truth, the gospel of his salvation, may indeed be in the covenant, one of the elect of God. But it has not yet been made known to him, and he does not and cannot have this assurance until he does believe. 
When by the grace of God it is revealed to him, he will believe the gospel, good news of his salvation. And his believing is the earnest or pledge of his inheritance. And it is the sealing with that Holy Spirit of promise. And the apostle says that this sealing is the earnest of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That is, until all of God's saints are brought home to their eternal possession. So you can see, I can't, I can't say anything or do anything to give you that assurance of your salvation. But as you believe the gospel, you're being sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise that Christ is yours and you're Christ. It is God that's working in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. And it comes at belief. This is what 1 John 5.10 is saying. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. It's not the witness from what you do. It's not the witness from, from what somebody else does. It's not the witness of what someone says. It's that Holy Spirit of promise that's in you that witnesses and testifies to the truth of your salvation. You see, as I said before, it is something to be experienced more than explained. To be experienced more than explained. For example, what would you say to someone that asks you to explain this witness that you have that you're one of the Lord's. And as you begin to talk about it, if they hadn't already been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, whatever you say to them is as foreign and distant as if you were speaking Russian and all they knew was Chinese. It wouldn't mean a thing to them. But if they... Well, how many times... Have you been sitting around with others and someone is talking about some of the blessings of God and some of the things that... Uh, talk, they're just witnessing and talking about what God had done for them. And you're sitting there and 
you're nodding your head yes, and you're, you might even say amen out loud, and you get excited. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've been there too. That's the reason you can read Romans 7 and you understand what Paul is saying, whether you can exegete each one of those verses or not. Let me turn there for just a second. Romans 7. Paul said, I'll pick up in verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not, but what I hate, that I do. That's kind of hard to explain that, but you know what he's talking about. If I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You understand that, don't you? But try to exegete it or explain it word for word. Sometimes it, you you come to, you kind of fall all over yourself. Several several years ago, I was uh, when I was pastoring in Fraser. I had a habit of, I'm kindly a, a late night person anyway, but a lot of times I would be in my office at night. Uh, the congregation there had an office for the pastor and I was able to store my books in there and have my library there. And I'd study there and uh, right down the road was a, a, a hamburger joint called Whataburger. And uh, I was quite known to frequent it quite often. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, one of the young men that was a cook there, uh, I don't know exactly how we kind of got acquainted uh, or how he uh, knew who I was. Or anyway, somehow he knew that I was the pastor there. And... Uh, when he would get off from work and from Whataburger at night, uh, occasionally he'd stop by uh, there and we would talk about the things of the Lord. And one night, I don't know how we got on to it, but I brought up Romans 7. Talked about the warfare that was going on, that goes on in the heart of a child of God. And when I was talking about the warfare that was going on, he said, what are you talking about? And I turned over to Romans 7 and, re and read it and kindly explained that it was going down. And he just kindly sat there amazed. Now here's a man that had been professionally attending worship on a regular basis. He said, that explains a lot to me. He said, I've never heard that before in my life. Made me wonder what his preacher would have been preaching about.
a lot of people out there may be struggling with these very things and they've got the witness in themselves but they don't know anything about it because no one has explained some of it to them. This young man believed he was one of the Lord's but he didn't have anything to kindly put his finger on it until he got into this. Until the gospel was explained to him and preached to him. John chapter 3. I believe is associated with this. John 3.33 He that hath received His testimony that is the testimony of Christ hath set to His seal that God is true. Second Corinthians chapter one. In verse twenty two. Who also excuse me, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. And then back in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now as I said, I believe that this sealing of this witness or that uh, John is speaking about that the child of God has upon belief is that Holy Spirit that testifies to each child of grace uh, upon hearing the gospel. Obviously, he must first be born again for that to take place. And then he says, he, back in 1 John 5.10, he that believeth not hath made him that is God a liar. Now there are likely many people out there who are unbelievers and are not Christian and have not been born again, they would say, well, I never would call God a liar. But he who believes not the gospel 
So that's what's under consideration there. He who does not believe, but to go more specifically with the context, he that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is calling God a liar. And this word for lie, for a liar, is used more often by John. And look, just look in First John, First John chapter one. In verse 6, this word liar here in verse 10 is the noun form, but in John, uh, 1 John 1, 6 is the verb form. But still, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If a person says that he has fellowship with God, if a person professes to be a believer and yet, yet he's walking in sin, he's a liar. That's what the Word of God says. That's not me. Don't take it. Don't get. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at God if you're going to get mad. And I would advise you not to get mad at God. And then in the 10th verse of 1 John 1, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If a man says that he hasn't sinned, and what is this world doing through modern philosophy? But saying there's everything that anybody does is all right. That's saying there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as wrong. When those who say that everything's all right, if you don't agree with them, they'll say you're wrong. They won't say that you're right too. <laughs> but they're liars. They're promoting a lie. They believe a lie. And they worship a lie. And in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. If a person says that, I, oh, I know God. I know Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm a child of God. And yet he doesn't walk in the commandments of the Lord. He's a liar. And in verse 22 of the same chapter, who is a liar? 
But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Anyone who denies Christ and Jesus as the Son of God and denies the Father and denies the Son, they're liars and they're Antichrist. Because the devil was a liar from the beginning and the father of lies, Scripture tells us. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Excuse me, verse 20, not verse 10. If a man say, I love God and hate his, hateth his brother, he's a liar. If somebody hates another child of grace and says he loves God, he's a liar. And what what we mean, the word hate there is in the uh, 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 the eth present tense. That is somebody who is has continual hatred. You know, somebody might hate somebody for a minute or two or something of that nature. It's not talking about that. It's someone who has continual hatred for another child of grace. He doesn't love God. If he says he loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar. And you know what Revelation 21.8 says about liars, do you not? Listen to Revelation 21. Verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving, notice unbelieving, and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death which is the second death. It's a serious thing to be a liar. It's a serious thing to not believe the Gospel. It's a serious thing to deny that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a serious thing to deny that God the Father is God. It's a serious thing to not believe the Gospel. But thanks be unto God, His children have the testimony in themselves through the operation of the Holy Spirit. The, te the testimony is not themselves. The testimony is in them. The testimony is Jesus Christ. The witness is Christ, well, the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. The record 
or the witness of God that's given of His Son is defined in verse 11. And this is the record or the witness, same word, that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in His Son. That's the record. That's the witness. That's the testimony that Jesus is the Christ. And to not believe that is to make God a liar. And there are other records as we have already pointed out. From John 5. Well, let me, let me turn there. John 5, verses 30 through 47. Here's some records or witnesses of the miracles that Jesus performed. John 5, picking up in verse 30. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not the testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness. Notice he's still talking about witnesses than that of John, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father Himself which has sent me hath borne witness of me. You say, when did He do that? At His baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. Ye have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His shape, and ye have not His word abiding in you, for He hath sent for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. So he, he, he tells them that they don't have the witness. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and there they which testify of me, of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Notice, ye will not come. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. How can ye receive which receive honor one excuse me, how can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me. For he wrote of me, but ye believe not his writings. How shall ye believe my words? Yes, this is the record of God. God gives us eternal life. And this life is in the Son of God. 
John 17, 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. What is eternal life? Knowing God the Father and God the Son. That's what John 17, 3 is saying. Knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And if you believe Him, then you have the Son and you have life. If you don't believe, then you, you do not have the Son and you do not have life. John makes it plain, not only in his Gospel, but here. 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And he that hath the Son, that is, believes on the Son, hath life. And he that hath not the Son, that is not believing, hath not life. We'll stop here and take up verse 13, the Lord willing, this afternoon. It's a serious thing to not believe the Gospel. It's a life or death situation. Believing doesn't give you life. Belief, you have to... But belief is a witness of the life. Well, much, much, much more could be said. But uh, I will say this life is given to each child of grace by the direct operation of the Holy Spirit without means. Life is given to each child of grace by the Holy Spirit without means. I believe in immediate regeneration. I want to make that plain. But at the same time, I do not want to minimize the importance of belief. Because the testimony of one being a child of grace, the earnest of the inheritance, the witness within him, all comes through the preaching of the gospel and believing. And if you don't believe the gospel, then you make God a liar. And you're clashed with the unbelievers and the liars in Revelation 21.8. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Serious business. Serious business indeed. Help us not to take it for granted. And bless us to follow after You to the honor and glory of Christ. 
For it is in his name we pray. Amen.